it's not as simple as it because it's a whole different animal. You know, it's a 50 caliber projectile. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, the largest ELDX we've done is 338. Listening to the Muzzleloaders Podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything black powder. How's it going, guys? It's Darren with the Muzzleloaders Podcast, and I'm here with Preston from Hornady, and uh, we're at Shot Show 2023. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to sit down and talk about some of the awesome stuff in the muzzleloader world coming from Hornady this year, and also touch on some of the stuff you guys have been doing in the past. I kind of want to talk about the FDX too. So, uh, first off, how's your show going? How's everything been? It's awesome. Good, Uh, good. The vibe is is pretty cool, you know. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty relaxed, quite honestly, uh, from years past that I've been here for whatever reason. Yeah, so it's been really really fun. Good, good. Um, real quick, can you bring that a little closer? Yep. To you now? There you go. Perfect, okay. perfect. Um, so let's see. Talking about that. Yeah, it seems like shot show is always kind of like one of two ways. Like you end up just being slammed the whole time, or you yeah. like don't know what to do with yourself. You know, for uh, sure. were you here last year? Not last year, but uh, two years before that. Okay, yeah, last year was crazy. Last year was like there was nobody here. It was yeah. bizarre. But um, so talking about the thing that uh, that everybody wants to hear about the mo- the recent announcement of yeah. the ELDX muzzleloader bullet. Um, the ELDX is a bullet I've used in my center fires for a long time. I've yes. killed lots of elk with it. Uh, it's always performed extremely well. I'm excited to see a copy of that in the muzzleloader world. Yep. So. Uh, have you had any experience with that? Yeah, uh, not me firing necessarily. Yeah, but I uh, have a very close relationship with the engineer of the board driver FTX and the board driver ELDX. Um, so I got to see it kind of all the way through its inception. I was able to see the prints and all the drawings that he was making, and it's kind of amazing to watch him take his essentially bullet designing uh, just knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, like, he, he knows so many things just before he even makes a product. Yeah. He knows, like, well, that's not going to expand, so I have to do this. And, mm-hmm. uh, well, it's not going to be accurate if I do this, so I must, like, he, he's a bullet whiz. So that was really fun to watch. Um, the prototypes that he was shooting, I was able to film some of those in the slow-mo gel, you know. And, oh, Because nice. I'm a videographer at Hornady yeah. by trade. Um, and then, specifically, like, we went on an antelope hunt. Uh, we both drew nebraska muzzleloader tags in the very northwest corner of nebraska in the ogallala national grasslands Mm -hmm. um that's a five-year wait for that so we've been putting in for five years so i got to see him harvest an antelope uh and maybe we'll save that for a little bit later in the podcast how far away it was but it was an incredible distance man so they are accurate and they're deadly um almost as far as you feel comfortable shooting an inline muzzleloader Totally. So um, talk to me a little bit about the so ELDX. Uh, for a lot of people that aren't aware, what does that stand for? Uh, extremely low drag expanding. And uh, the original board driver, FTX, flex tip expanding. Mm-hmm. Very, very accurate bullet. Um, to say politely, it's a little stumpy, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It's not sleek. It's not aerodynamic, yeah. but just supremely accurate and a killer, right? Mm-hmm. Does a really, really good job terminally. Jason Hornady wanted a, a muzzleloader bullet that was deserving of the ELDX name. So mm-hmm. he put him to the task, and this is what we've come up with. 340 grains, just as sleek and slippery as you would ever want 
out of a muzzleloader bullet. I didn't even know it was conceivable, quite yeah. honestly. Uh, high BC, 315 Doppler verified yeah. BC. So yeah. these things are, are, are quite slippery. Yeah, 315 is incredible. I yep. mean, yeah, I think that's I think that's the best 50 caliber I've ever seen as far as that. Or at least the highest BC I've right. seen of a 50 right. caliber. Um, the competitors have some as well. I, I can't remember if theirs was high, advertised higher or whatever, or maybe slightly lower. But this is... We had some questions about whether or not that was actually a true BC or maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of a marketing BC, as as you know, people in the industry might say. But this is a Doppler derived yeah. BC to the T. Awesome. And with the ELDX, so is was it as simple as just like importing the technology from the centerfire bullet into a muzzleloader bullet, or was there more that went into it than that? There. <laughs> It's not as simple as it because it's a whole different animal. You know, it's a 50 caliber projectile. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, the largest ELDX we've done is 338, 270 grain uh, ELDX for like the 338 Lap- or Lapua Magnum or, yeah. or 338 Winchester if you feel it froggy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, the ideas and the principles are the same. You just can't make it the same way. Yeah. You know, it take, it's like almost a whole different press if I'm not mistaken. Don't mm-hmm. quote me on that. But yeah, we still got an incredibly tapered jacket so at longer range you've got that thin jacket at the front of the bullet so that when your velocity slowed down you're still going to get uh penetrate you know expansion mm-hmm. like you want you know you need that caliber caliber and a half expansion yep so as it comes down uh we've got the tried and true interlock we're known for interlocks in mm-hmm. our in our bullets which for your listeners if you don't know it's a piece of copper it's a ring of copper that extends on the inside of the jacket into the lead core to help hold the core and the jacket together. Hmm. And then it just keeps getting thicker and thicker and thicker towards the base. So if you do have a close shot and Mr. Deer pops up at 15 yards, yeah, you still have mass going through that deer and it's not just going to blow to shreds. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really exciting about the, the technology with ELDX. Um, with the FTX, and I just kind of want to compare and contrast these two bullets because I haven't shot the ELDXs yet. Uh, I think we have some samples coming our yes, way that we're going to yep. be testing soon. Um, but the FTX, I shot a ton, and it was extremely accurate. We were able to get, I think I think it was a half-inch group at 100 yards with the FTX. Um, is there any difference in the bases? Like, what are the main similarities and differences between these two okay. bullets? The skirts are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. That is a one-for-one swap. Um, obviously... If you compare the two, you put them side by side, you're going to be like, oh, that must weigh considerably more than the FTX. But it's actually only 50 grains heavier Mm -hmm. for how long it is. So there are some differences internally, um, center of mass and center of pressure, or center of gravity and center of pressure um, relationship is going to be a little bit more different but they mm-hmm. the engineers have really got that figured out when i say things like that i'm i've just heard the the, the words before right <laughs> yeah and, and it doesn't mean a whole lot to me but um there is quite a big cavity behind a, a much much larger tip so mm-hmm. this is a completely new tip for us different than the ftx um it, it's it's big so as soon as soon as it makes contact with something, it's driving back into that hollow cavity. So mm-hmm. expansion is not a question with this thing. Yeah. Like, yep. it's going to happen. And it's just, are you going to hit the animal where you want to? And that's where accuracy comes in. Yep. And and you know the story with the with the board driver FTX. Same premise here. We've got that skirt. Uh, it's going to obturate to the bore, spin up that bullet really, really well. Mm-hmm. And it's also got that post that's going to also obturate at the same exact time and really swell and fill that bore that becomes a huge 
um, issue in the inline world and muzzleloader yep. world when you know you have companies that might be a thousandth bigger on their you know bore bore and groove dimensions yeah. than others. Yep. So these load extremely well, and we've we've kind of figured out an excellent way for the bullets to operate and spin up uh, incredibly uh, well, so that they're accurate. Yeah, totally. And I've I've experienced that. I think one of the one of like the just the tried and true tests that we like to do is ballistic gel mm-hmm. and we shot the ftx into ballistics gel and like you're saying expansion was incredible it was uh the best of the bolts that we tested on that particular day cool and um it was just i mean just all the energy is transferred into whatever you're yep. trying to kill you know yep. and i'm excited to do another ballistic gel test with the eldx because i'm sure it's going to um do just as well on yeah. all that stuff so definitely uh one question that i have because and this is a pretty technical question okay um so drag function, um, because as you were just chatting with Nate when he was in here, we like to do a lot of long range testing right. with these types of things. And when we plug information into ballistics calculators, it's difficult to get um, a drag function that fits specifically with the muzzleloader projectiles because a lot of times they're different. Does this uh, does the ELDX and the FTX use a standard like a G1 drag function? Yeah, well, it's it's G one. There are calculators that will convert that can convert you to G seven. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, if you just wanted to divide it by two, you know, there's your G seven right there, um, plus or minus a few points, which might take some tweaking. I'm not sure whether our head ballistician has considered putting this into Ford off yet, yeah. which would be wild. I didn't even yeah. think about that until this interview right now. But <laughs> have a muzzle loader bullet in our Ford off program using mm-hmm. the actual drag curve rather than bc but i might have to bring that up to him yeah but yeah 315 is the g1 bc on it your your g7 is probably going to be around 157 158 roger that and i guess as a ballistics expert can you explain to our listeners the difference between drag functions or is it kind of just a technical term as a metric to measure things well it is exactly that but g1 is kind of like the improper standard from a long time ago right Mm -hmm. so a g1 is a flat base bullet with a pretty stumpy ogive and that's how you would calculate it against the g1 bullet a g7 actually is a boat tail bullet um not the sleekest most aerodynamic uh, ogive that you've seen out of some of our bullets and competitors bullets lately Mm -hmm. but a better representation of that uh, to a boat tail bullet got it okay yeah and that's something i've always I always thought it was like, okay, I just know this is G1. I didn't know anything about G1 or G7. Yeah. But um, for a it, lot of it our listeners. It can be kind of confusing. And, sure, yeah. And really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter um, if you're using a, a BC calculator. Either one of them is going to have minute errors and deficiencies mm-hmm. downrange that you might have to true, uh, whether whether that be BC or muzzle velocity for, uh, to get accurate predictions. But That'd be interesting if we could get them into our Ford off, and then there's yeah. no errors whatsoever. Yeah, and that's, I mean, just from the perspective of somebody that shoots a lot of long-range, like, muzzleloader-type stuff, the ballistic calculators, um, a lot of times they're just not quite designed perfectly with the muzzleloader projectiles, right. you know? Yep. And so it makes it kind of tough. So if there was some sort of option like that, I think that would be a huge deal. Yeah, so. I'll have to bring that up for yeah, sure. Yeah, Um So... Talking about uh, muzzleloader hunting, um, you obviously said you were out in a antelope hunt here yep. in the past. Um, how long have you been muzzleloader hunting, and like how 
how big of a, a part of your like hunting endeavors is that? So I've been doing it seriously, I would say, since I was a, a freshman in college. And I'm, excuse me, I'm <laughs> 34, year old, 34 years old right now. So 16 years or so, I've probably been taking mm-hmm. it pretty seriously. Um, before that, you know, I had a percussion cap muzzleloader that my dad could never get to yep. shoot that great. And I played around <laughs> with that. I killed one deer with that. But uh, I played football in college, mm-hmm. so I did not have a lot of time. Don't let Jason hear this to bow hunt like I normally would, you know, coming out of high school. So uh, I did get a little rifle hunting in, but I always I needed more, mm-hmm. you know. So Nebraska's uh, muzzleloader season is the length of December. It's It's absolutely awesome. Nice. So I said... Well, these muzzleloaders are actually getting to be a little bit more easy to ignite, you know, a little bit more accurate. I'm just going to get an inline. Yeah. So I, I got a, a tradition. This is before even the quick breach. So uh-huh. I still had to have a oh, tool, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was inline and I was using 209 primers. Was it I, was it a break action at least yes, or was it a plunger? Yes. Okay. Yes. And funny story about that. I don't know if I just, I didn't have something right or, or I was just too much of a novice. But <laughs> when I shot it the first two times, it actually broke open on me. Oh, really? And I was sh- shooting off of a, a book bag or something. I didn't know anything back yeah, then, right? Yeah. And it came back, and I got scoped twice. Really? So I have a scar right here. Oh, man. That's that's a muzzleloader scope. Huh. Yeah, twice in a row. But back then, um, you know, pellets were the rage. Yeah. You know, before that, it was measuring them, putting in your mother major, pouring it. You know, pellets was awesome. Yeah. Were awesome. And, and found some conflicting information on whether this was a 100 a grain max charge gun or a 150 so i said let's do 150 and i shot 250 grain sst's back then before i worked at hornady obviously yeah and the very first hunt i took it on uh with some ground that we had i had access to still to this day i mean mm. it's my favorite place to go hunting in south central nebraska and snow was crunchy as ever the deer were grouped up and i stumbled upon a nice group of deer and i picked out one that had horns going everywhere like more points than i could count <laughs> I ranged it. The scope came with a BDC yeah. scope, my first BDC scope ever. Yeah. And I said, 160 yards. Holy cow. And I just kind of, I favored high mm. for what the the scope said I should and shot it offhand and dropped it. Oh, like, man. Yeah. It just went in right under the spine, had a little bit of damage to the spine. It was yeah. like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. I'm kind of hooked now. Yeah. <laughs> Ever yeah. since that I've been playing with muzzle loaders. Oh yeah, muzzle loading, I think one of the things we talk about on the podcast all the time whether it's, you know, with our guests or just us and muzzle loaders mm-hmm. is that it's just an addicting thing to do. You yeah. know, it's it's I always say it's kind of like a happy medium between rifle hunting and archery hunting where like archery hunting is just full on chess, like you're right. playing against you versus the animal. Rifle hunting is technical in like, you know, you have to get to within a certain distance, but then you have to be able to execute a shot. Mm-hmm. And um, muzzleloading is kind of like a happy medium between the two where you have to get close, but you also have some of the technicalities. And you also get to wander around the woods with the gun, yeah. which is my favorite thing. So. I, I'd <laughs> rather hunt with a muzzleloader than practice or sight in or anything yep. with a muzzleloader. But, gall darn it, it is a hoot. And, yeah. and the advancements that we're seeing in the muzzleloader field these days, that's, that's amazing compared yeah. to what I grew up with. Totally. Yeah, I think it's exciting to see companies like Hornady that are coming alongside that as well, helping to grow that and... Um, introducing projectiles because sometimes the projectiles can be a little bit limited, you know, especially yeah. when you're introducing these longer range muzzle loaders, you want to be able to stretch it out there. It's tough when there's not a projectile that necessarily meets the needs that you're looking for. Yeah. When I was an up and comer, 
uh, I had tried some competitors' bullets, and and if we want to talk about terminal performance a little bit, in my experience, kind of rare to get an exit with a muzzleloader projectile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I and I was always wondered why that was, and they will actually like some of them are, are so rapid expansion they almost turn into a like a like a fifty cent piece. Yeah, you know, and then all that energy is expended, which is great. Some people love that. Mm-hmm. These board drivers. Because they have the ELDX terminal performance characteristics built into them, all of the shots that I've seen taken with them, um, I did a, a hunt on our YouTube channel, a little quick plug, shameless plug. Yeah. <laughs> you know, check it out, board driver hunt, uh, FTX, Kansas Whitetail. And I filmed that hunt and edited that hunt. And um, that was an exit at 102 yards. So still pretty pretty good velocity out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the hunt that I went uh, with the engineer on this bullet, antelope hunting, uh, 340 yards. Ooh, man. So, <laughs> the, like I said, it's up to you. It's up to the consumer to determine how far they need to shoot, you yeah. know. But this bullet will work at ranges that typical inline muzzleloaders have, have not even considered. Totally. But that was an in and an out as well. Um, I mean, with incredible expansion. Yeah, yeah. Absolute damage. Uh, yeah, that, that was a... We could talk about that hunt for a long time, but <laughs> um, yeah, that was the end of the wire. It was now or never, and he he made it count. Yeah, and he put it right where he wanted it. Yeah, it was awesome. He he had run out of um, holdovers in his BDC scope. Oh, so really? he was on the last post, and then he aimed a certain amount high, whatever his yeah, engineering yeah. brain told him to do, and it <laughs> and it works. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Now I will say. Um, you know, the board driver ELDX is a big, heavy bullet, and it's going to thrive on velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily the easiest thing to get with pellets. He was uh, running that load with, with Blackhorn 82 grains by weight, mm-hmm. um, almost a max charge. And so you are going to want to potentially run loose powder yeah, uh, and get that muzzle velocity up. That way, you know, it, it absolutely crushes the board driver FTX uh aerodynamically if you get the velocity up totally you know and i think he was running somewhere around 1800 feet per second something around there got it with a 315 bullet a 315 bc bullet that 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 your capability is out there seriously yeah Yeah. and and some people might wonder like well why would i get a board driver ftx ever again Mm -hmm. that's like well you have to consider where do you hunt yeah. Are you ever going to need to take a shot over 150 yards? You know, if, if not, board driver F- FTX may be your huckleberry. Yeah. You know, so yep. they will be at different price points. Obviously, board driver ELDX got a lot more lead in it, some more copper. So there's going to be a price difference. So uh, if you're if you're if there's a chance, though, that you may need to extend your range a little bit to get the job done, mm-hmm. the ELDX going to be the winner there. Yeah. So one of the questions along those lines is, um, are you experiencing with the ELDX any decline in performance when not using a Magnum charge or when using a muzzleloader with like a 1 in 28 versus a 1 in 24 twist rate or anything like that? No, twist rates, absolutely not. Okay. Uh, I mean, it is absolutely designed to go with a 28 twist or mm-hmm. faster. Obviously, those are coming out as well. Uh, but we, we, we didn't want to leave any modern inline muzzleloaders out of the equation when yeah. we did this. Uh, performance uh, without a magnum charge, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still accurate. They still expand extremely well. Your range is just a little bit more limited. But these True. things, 
expand. I, I don't have the number off the top of my head, and I probably should have that, but <laughs> they expand down to a, a pretty impressive minimum velocity threshold. Really? Yeah. Nice. That's good to hear because, you know, especially when you're talking like a 340-yard you know, muzzleloader shot's a long ways, and um, the, the real bread and butter of the ELDX is being able to expand at those lower yep. velocities when we're talking about center fires and um, being able to cross that over into muzzleloader technology where a slower velocity is kind of your baseline and then mm -hmm. as the further you get out there it's even more exponential than in center fires is really helpful yeah i think on that antelope hunt after we did the back calculations you know it was a, it got a little western on that <laughs> hunt so we didn't have a whole lot of time but i yeah. believe he ended with around 1200 feet per second and over 1200 foot pounds of energy still at 340 yards really yeah man that's 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 crazy i think that it that really has just as much to do with the bullet than anything else because there's some calculations I've done where, uh, I mean, you're barely pushing that kind of, you know, that kind of foot pounds of energy at just baseline 300 yards, you know, because mm -hmm. um, last last season I was doing a bear hunt and um, put a lot of effort into that. And um, about 300 yards was my maximum with that current setup. So, right. Yep. This can go out of, <laughs> like we don't want to tell people how far they should shoot stuff because ethics gets involved. You know, sure, it, yeah. it, it truly does. Yep. You know, if you're a practice hunter and you can make that shot, we wanted to give you a bullet that you could do it with. Totally. And I think, you know, like you said, your, your practice as well as the conditions, um, the situation, yeah. you know, there's so many factors that go into that. And that's one of the reasons that hunting, I think is one of, uh, is, is the thing I'm most passionate about is because mm -hmm. it's always, it's always a game, you know, yep. it's you versus you, the animal and you versus the elements. And it's what makes it fun. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess talk, speaking about that, Nebraska is a state I've heard a lot about when it comes to hunting. Um, do you guys have mule deer there, or is it whitetail, or what's that look like? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely have mule deer. I think populations have been on the decline in recent years. Um, but we still have a healthy population. We're, you know, we're kind of the first state from anybody coming from east. We're kind of like the first state that has a good population of mule deer, huntable mm -hmm. mule deer. So... We do get a lot of out-of-staters. Some people even come from the other direction where there's a lot better mule deer. But yeah. it, it, it is very cool. Um, you know, corn was very, very expensive in 07, and a lot some of the habitat got destroyed a little bit, and that pushes the whitetails up into the hills a little bit. And mm -hmm. I think mule deer as a whole are just a little bit more fragile than whitetail, you know? Yeah. So that affected them a little bit. Um, but, yeah, and we've got a, a very good huntable population of mule deer. However... You know, we're a two percent public land state. So Oh man, so you gotta know somebody. Yeah, for the most part. There are some public spots out west, but you know, if you're gonna commit to it, it's for me it's like a four hour drive uh to one of my favorite spots. So mm -hmm. I better be able to put in the time to at least find something when I'm out yeah. there. Yeah. I think that's kind of the thing that I always um take for granted because I live in eastern Oregon and mm -hmm. Oregon is like vast majority public land you know it's yeah. like i can drive 45 minutes i mean even closer than that but to the spots i like tons usually about 45 minutes and you know i'm in the back country you know yeah. it's just super awesome um it is also interesting you say that the whitetail population is like more sturdy in nebraska because in oregon i've noticed that it's it's almost more fragile and i don't know exactly why it seems like our populations are really susceptible to disease Okay. Um, and I think the terrain, because over there we have just tons of, we have a lot of wolves now. We have all oh, kinds sure. of stuff. And pre like the predators don't get them, the hunters get them. If the hunters don't get them, the disease gets them. Right. And so it's just pretty tough on them. But um, do, you have, do you have elk in Nebraska too? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, 
it's not as huntable of a population as, as other states, but some of the biggest bulls ever killed anywhere have come from Nebraska. Yeah. Um, but it is, uh, I think most units are anywhere from 12 to maybe 20 bulls per unit. And that's, that's about it. Like, really? And, and obviously with the, we, us being 2% public land, mm-hmm. a lot of it is done through guides and, and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but it's fun. It's a once in a lifetime tag for residents. If you fill your bull tag, that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's kind of how it is in, in or not for elk. We have a lot of elk in Oregon, but, um, like our sheep and our goats are all kind of that way, yeah. you know? So, um, but we I think we have bighorns too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We yeah. have, we have pretty, yes, yes. Have bighorns we do. Yep. Really? Huh. So that's, that's a, a one a lottery draw bighorn per year. Uh-huh. And you actually go out with the game in parks and, and they'll, they'll guide you on it. So really? that, that's kind of cool. And then there's one, typically there's one that's auctioned off and it goes for an astronomical number. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we actually have bighorn sheep in Nebraska as well, man. Yeah. It's crazy. I actually, I drove through Nebraska for the first time here. Uh, on i80 yep on i80 yeah i know i was like i was like there's there's not much out here no no but believe it or not uh, you know nebraska is known for being just flat yeah boring but if you get off the i80 corridor yeah there's hills you know there's there's stuff out there our our highest point in nebraska is over a mile of elevation oh really we're well over five thousand feet in certain parts of it but there is parts of it that are boring too. It's not. It's not all yeah, eighty. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys have so coyote hunting? Uh, the listeners that listen to this know I talk about coyote hunting a lot. Um, is there a lot of good coyote hunting in Nebraska? There is. Um, there are guys that that do run dogs and stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. So um, after they go through the the calling is a little bit more challenging. But yeah, yeah we we definitely have a huge uh, population of coyotes. Probably worse than it's ever been quite frankly just because yeah. fur prices are so terrible yeah. you know we're actually there's actually been coon tournaments where uh people will just say go you know you got 24 hours bring in as many coons as you can we'll do prizes for how many we'll do prizes for the best we'll we're biggest we'll do prizes for the smallest <laughs> um there was one about an hour away from from home base grand island nebraska uh-huh. they got over like 650 coons in that one night a single guy or like a team the the whole the whole tournament oh man that's i mean the the most one team got in that one 24-hour period was like 52 or something like that that's crazy i can't believe that there's so many just because the fur prices there's there's no market for them anymore yeah yeah that's wild seems like people want wolves and that's about it yeah yeah and i mean there's only a few places you can hunt those too i mean it's getting crazy so but i guess to to bring it all back full circle, yes, I get yeah. on, I get on hunting tangents a lot on the podcast. <laughs> I, like so I apologize to the to the listeners. I enjoyed but, it. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy it too. But um, so bring it all back to the ELDX bullet. Um, so for for those hunters that are hunting out west, um, this bullet is Colorado legal, correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And the same and same goes for the board driver, right? Yep. Okay. And so. Uh, one of the questions we get a lot is, can you shoot the board driver through a um, muzzle brake? And so, because a lot of times these muzzleloaders are now accommodating muzzle right, brakes. Right, And they're concerned that the base is going to somehow get caught up in there and either affect accuracy or be dangerous in some way. Do you happen to know if that is uh, a concern? I don't know if we've done any testing on it, t- to be real honest with you. That's probably something we should do. Um, we, we have a host of muzzleloaders that we do all our testing with, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure if any of them are outfitted with muzzle brakes. I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that one. 
Yeah, I think that um, that'd definitely be a good thing to look into. It's something that we should look into as well. It's just been on kind of the back burner because uh, there's lots of content to put sure, out, as you sure. know. Um, but the you know it's it's a question we get because the the muzzle brakes because a lot of these muzzle loaders, especially when you're loading them up with magnum charges, um, they have quite a bit of recoil. People are throwing muzzle brakes on them. And um, there's kind of a lot of conflicting information as far as sure. that goes. So, Well, I can tell you, uh, I'm a videographer at Hornady by trade. I don't know if I said that yet or not. If I did, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, we do the high-speed filming and stuff for yeah. all of our gelatin, um, anything marketing, promotional, or if somebody wants to see something, or if the engineer's like, oh, we better see that really slow down so we can figure out what's going on, we're doing it. Mm-hmm. So when we shoot that at gel, it's kind of amazing. A lot of times the skirt is right behind the bullet and stuck on the front side of the gel. Oh, really? Or even buried in it a little bit. So it, interesting. The skirt's kind of accurate for a while. So yeah, I would, yeah. I would doubt it has any any troubles with uh-huh. a muzzle brake, but we'll we'll t- we'll have to test that. Totally. Yeah, I think it'd be good to know. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, I think it's been absolutely fascinating. Got to learn about uh, different ballistic information and stuff like that so i appreciate your uh, your insight into all those things and i really look forward to getting some of those eldx bullets down range and seeing how they yeah. perform well, firsthand so sounds like you'll have them in not too long from now. not too long no yeah, yeah. <laughs> so preston i really appreciate it yeah. thank you so much it's been a pleasure uh for those of you guys watching on youtube be sure to like comment subscribe let us know what your favorite hornady projectile is in the comments below and uh, if you're just listening on the audio platform Be sure to leave a review because it's really going to help the show out a lot. Thanks so much. We'll see you on the next episode.